hear from your word. We ask that our attention, our hearts, our minds would be focused upon you. Be open to your spirit and that we might learn and become more like Christ. And it's in his name that we ask it. Amen. God, there are so many problems out there. Anybody feel like you could say that? I mean, just just out there, whatever that might mean to you as you look into the world, to the country, uh, maybe to your neighborhood. God, there are so many problems out there. That is a private quote from the 41st president of the United States. George Bush, one year into his presidency, made that comment to, he he kept a recorder and he would record his thoughts um, and just lots of them, but that was one of his comments. God, there are so many problems out there. A biography of George H.W. Bush came out, 2015, called Destiny and Power. Um, It's a great book. And the writer of it got access to all of these recordings. Um, The the research is very thorough. Um, There's some just really personal, private kinds of things that are in here. Um, His frustrations, his challenges. And one of the things that the author of the book says is that George Bush ended up basically ruining his own chance to get reelected. And the way in which he ruined it is by walking as best he could down the middle, trying to get done anything he could get done by appealing to both Democrats and Republicans and ultimately alienating his own party along the way. And that the first two years of administration, he would accomplish a number of things, and then it would kind of go downhill from that point. But as you read some of what George Bush says about himself, it seems as if he wouldn't change it. All the problems that were out there, to do the right thing in his mind, whatever he thought that was, and I'm not arguing whether it was right or wrong, but he believed it to be right, that he would keep down that path. And this is from a diary entry. This is right towards the end. I've tried to keep it. I've tried to serve here with no taint of dishonor, no conflict of interest, nothing to sully this beautiful place and this job I've been privileged to hold. And remember, he's not giving this to a reporter. Uh, The only reason we have this is because years later, this guy who wrote the book gave it to us. These are his inward thoughts. Maybe on this issue or that, I've had misjudgments, but never misconduct, I hope. Never doing anything that would tarnish or hurt the presidency. And yet no one seems to know that, and no one seems to care. They say, what motivates you? And I used to be teased about service for the sake of service, 
Well, it does motivate me. People should give, but it's service with honor, service with a flair for decency and hopefully kindness. I know that the latter never came through because the press won that one. He's cold-hearted, he's disconnected, he doesn't care about people. But I don't think they can lay a glove on me in the final analysis on serving without conflict, never for personal gain, always bearing in mind the respect for the office that I've been privileged to hold, the house I've been privileged to live in, the office in which I've tried to serve. Today I want to talk about doing the right thing. Ultimately, his legacy will determine year after year after year, did he do the right thing? But this is what I can say after reading through this. He tried to do the right thing, even at a cost. Here's my question for us. What price will you pay to do the right thing? How much will you sacrifice? How much would you give up to do the right thing? In the early church, they have to make some significant decisions about the right thing, about moving forward. And remember, this church, it's a small church that is growing. Every person seems to matter more than it might, and I don't mean this in a negative way, than it might in a giant church. If you have 10,000 members and one person happens to slip away, you may not even notice it. If you have 100 you notice every single individual. And as this little fledgling church is growing and expanding and little churches are being planted all over the place, now that Paul has moved through Galatia and he's gone into Greece, he's come back and he's into Europe, um, excuse me, he's into Asia Minor. As he moves through these places and he's building these little churches, every decision seems to matter. And this morning, we come to an uncomfortable scene where James, the head of the Jerusalem church, and Paul, the head of the Gentile mission, they've got to talk about a hard issue. What decision will they make? And here's what I want to say right up front. James will make a hard decision for the right reason, no matter what the outcome is. And that's what I want you to get from this morning. I want you to think about the decisions that you make Will you make a hard decision for the right reason, no matter the outcome? If you would, open your Bibles to Acts 21. Acts chapter 21. We're beginning in verse 17. This is a continuation of this series as we go through the book of Acts, and we're, just, we're getting snapshots, little moments within the church. We know that Paul has already had conflict with Barnabas. Heather taught on that. It separated the two. Here's another moment. Verse 17. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. Now, this is a formal meeting. Notice people that are there. Right, this is not a James and Paul went out and grabbed a beer and they're just having a conversation about how the church is going. Right, this is a formal meeting. 
where each side is bringing its sides together into a room to talk. Something is happening. Something's going on. Verse 19, after greeting them, that is Paul, he related one by one, almost like a a lawyer, one by one he's sharing the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, you see, brother, all right, so they glorified God. They're excited. This is a good thing. But there is an issue going on right now. And this is where the discomfort comes. Have you ever had to have a really hard conversation? Maybe it was with a friend, a spouse, a boss, maybe somebody you employ. You had to have this conversation. And coming in, you know you have to have it. And it just sits with you. It's right there. You're like, oh, I don't want to have this conversation. If you're like me, maybe you ran it over in your head multiple times. You thought about what you were going to say. You kept running the speech hoping to get it right. This is one of those conversations. James has something really hard that needs to be said to Paul. You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or to walk according to our customs. Now, if you have read any of Paul's letters, you'll hear kind of this language. You will hear him say, don't, you don't need to get circumcised. You'll hear him say, those rituals, they don't have meaning. Don't worry about those. You'll hear all this language. Are you starting to feel James's conflicts? There are all of these Jews that they are believers. They are zealous, but they are also zealous for the law. And you, you're this guy, you just told us your story, right? You've been going from place to place to place preaching. There's all these Gentiles coming in. But your reputation, Paul, is that you are against all of these things that thousands of Jewish believers find so valuable. That's your reputation. Have you ever gotten a reputation for something that maybe it's right, maybe it's not, but it's there? Maybe one you didn't want. And somebody had to come to you and say, this is what people see. How hard is that conversation? Keep going. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Like, because they've come to Jerusalem. This is where most of the Jewish believers are at. Paul has been out. Antioch is his sending church. He's been out among all these Gentiles sharing the gospel, but now he's back in the heart of the Jewish land. Here's James's uh, solution. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men... And purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. All right, so here's what we want you to do. We've got four men. Uh, Perhaps they've taken a Nazarite vow. So they've got 30 days of no strong drink. They must shave their heads They're taking a specific Jewish vow. 
We want you to go with them and purify yourself, maybe because you've been in the Gentile lands. You go purify yourself, and we want you to pay for their vow. That will then show all the Jews that what they're saying about you is not real. Show that you actually do care. You care about the law. Now again, if you've read some of Paul's stuff, could you feel Paul's conflict? I mean, this is, let me just give you one example. Okay, when it comes, and I'm using this because it's the most extreme in Scripture. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul is going off on the people who are telling the Galatians they need to be circumcised. And he is so upset that he says, I wish they would go all the way and just cut it off. That's in your Bible. (laughs) That is how much Paul is upset by them trying to force circumcision. And here is James saying, I want you to show them that you're okay with the law, that you're okay with how they observe things. That's a serious ask here. Verse 25. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what was sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. I want to stop there before Paul's response. When a confrontation needs to happen, when it is the right thing, I think there are some reasons it can be challenging. Number one is what we're reading in here. How do you go to somebody who has had so much success in something and basically tell them there's something wrong with what they're doing? Paul is the most successful Christian at this point. He has single-handedly planted multiple churches all over the place. He is raising up believers like you wouldn't believe. And you've got to come to him and say, now, Paul, you've got a reputation here. And that's one reason it can be hard. But I don't think it's the main reason it's hard for us. So I'm sitting on our back porch this uh, week, past week. Got my kids out there. And my five-year-old son has a certain um, opinion of me. And he's told it to me, but I wanted him to tell it to his sister. Um, It's about how fast I can run. He's got an opinion on that. And I said, hey, bub, why don't you tell your sister? And he says, well, see, it goes like this. The, The fastest person in our family is mom. Because mom can beat sissy. And sissy is definitely faster than I am. And I am faster than bubs. And of course, bubs is faster than daddy. Daddy's the slowest one in our family. And I'm going, we're going to have a race. I'm going to show you who the slowest one in our family is. But I said to him, I said, so buddy, why do you think that I'm the slowest in the family, even slower than the baby? Why do you think I'm the slowest in the family? And without missing a beat, straight-faced, he says, I don't think that, Daddy. It's true. (laughs) What my son did right there 
is why I think confrontation is so hard. All right, let me explain it. There are two things that happened, one that is good and hard and one that is not so good and hard. We don't like to tell one another the truth. We don't like to tell each other the truth. We are afraid of hurting somebody's feelings. We are afraid of making them angry. We are afraid of what they might think of us and what that might mean later on for our relationship. We are afraid of telling each other the truth. We are afraid that we'll tell the truth and the person won't respond well and it'll hurt us later on. We're afraid of telling the truth. Kids are not, especially when they're five and under. They're just gonna tell you exactly as they see it. One time, our four-year-old daughter told one of our grandmothers, Grandma, you're fat. Could you imagine saying that to like anybody? But that they just say what is true, or at least what they think is true. Here's the other side. They don't have a lot of tact. They just say it exactly as it is. And like it or not, if we're going to tell the truth, we could use a little tact. Because saying it in certain ways may allow somebody to hear it. But then that's the other side. We gotta be willing to hear it. We gotta be willing to actually receive something that somebody says to us. To be able to see whatever is truth in what they've said. Even if it's not all true. Nobody has something against you without some amount of truth in what they have against you. Nobody just makes it all up. And you're this perfect person and they're 100% wrong, but they're coming to you about how you're wrong. We always do something wrong. But we need to find a balance. I think the story... And there's this like weird uncomfortableness as they're all sitting around and like James is knowing, even as Paul is telling him the story of all these wonderful things, James is going, but I got to tell you that people don't like you. I mean, James has got that going on in his head, even as Paul's telling the story. And yet, all of it is said, all of it is, is done in a way, and you'll see in a moment the way Paul receives it, both sides, that there's truth, there is tact, and there is reception on the part of Paul. I know it is hard to make that kind of decision. I have a friend who came to me not long ago to let me know that I had handled a situation poorly involving this friend. I had done something to cause harm it wasn't easy to hear, but it was true. And this person actually came to me, not actually because of them, but that I wouldn't make this same decision and hurt somebody else. Will you think about making some of the hard decisions? Sometimes they are relational, but there's a whole bunch of other hard decisions that have to be made but we need to make them. Why? Let's look at Paul's response. Verse 26, 
Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them, and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled, and the offering presented for each one of them. Now, here's what I want to suggest. In the early church, you don't have, like, you don't have the Bible like this. Uh, you've got multiple scrolls that are around. Some get copied. You've got churches have some, but not others. And if you were a church that had Acts, and there was another church that had Galatians and Colossians, those two books, there would be fighting among those two churches as to which is the real Paul. Or there would be, no, 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 we have a different Paul. We've got the Paul over here that doesn't believe in circumcision and doesn't believe in rituals. Oh, no, no, we've got the Paul that believes in these things. In fact, he circumcised Timothy. He took a vow of his own accord. And then when he was approached by the leaders of the Jerusalem church, he took another vow and paid for others to do it. These cannot be the same people. What is going on with Paul? Is Paul just contradictory? Is Paul just schizophrenic? Is he messed up? Has he had too many drugs? What is going on with the Apostle Paul? Because as far as we know, this is the same guy making these decisions. How is his decision the right one with everything that he has stood for? I mean, think about how Paul could have responded. And then let me know if you've ever had a response like this when somebody's confronted you. Paul could have said things like this. Yeah, those Jews are just stupid. Like, they don't know me. He could have just said, no, that is wrong. That is not what I do. I'm not like that. He could have gotten defensive. There's all kinds of ways that he could have justified what he's doing. He could have done this. And tell me if you've ever done this before. Gosh, I'm, I'm sorry that they feel that way. But... There's my fake apology, like I'm letting you know that, yeah, kind of, but not really. Really what I feel is this. He doesn't do any of that. Paul just takes the vow and pays for the people. Why? Because he has the first things first. Because Paul's decision is based upon what is most important to God. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. What you are going to find, if you ever think about your own theology, is that it's not all equal. You have all these things that you believe. You know, I believe this and this and this and this and this and this. However, they're not in an equal line like this. You place some of them above others. You have priorities in your theology, whether you recognize it or not. You think certain things are more important than other things. So does Paul. The question is, do you have the right things as the priority? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, look at verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being un myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, 
that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. There is no ritual, there is no theology, there is no preferences that Paul would ever put above the gospel. That's his primary thing. You would never see Paul going, we must have this kind of worship. You must do this particular holiday. But neither would you ever hear Paul do this. You must never do this here. What Paul is going to say is, what moves the gospel forward and doesn't hurt the holiness of God? Did you think, think for a moment back into the Exodus? The midwives. Do you remember the midwives that are saving the little Jews, little babies? Do you know how they're saving them? By lying. They are lying to do that. But that is not only okay, they're praised for it. Because in that case, and hear me, in that case, it was one or the other, and life was of higher value to God than them telling the truth. I was once asked in college, if I were in Nazi Germany, and I were hiding Jews, and somebody, they came to my door and they said, do you have any Jews hidden? What would you say? And like as college students, and we're trying to be radical for Christ, we're like, well, we always got to tell the truth. We got to be 100% honest or we're not serving Christ. So what, we're going to give people up to die for my honesty? I'm not sure what I would have answered in college because I was really struggling with all this. I can tell you what I answer right now. I would lie to them. And I would say, I have no Jews in my home. There are priorities in our beliefs. It's not as simple as just, oh, we'll just do all these things, and like I can make all these perfect decisions, and all theology is perfectly connected. It's not that simple. Life is messed up. Our choices sometimes require us to figure out priorities. That's what Paul is doing right here. Second and final one for Paul. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to the interests, but also to the interests of others. And here's the rationale. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in human likeness. I think Paul, and, and you can disagree with me, you can shoot nasty emails to me later, you can just ask questions, I think Paul's top two priorities in all of his theology are the gospel of Christ and the unity of the body of Christ. And if you go through his letters, that's what you will see. 
and what is happening with the Jews are those two things. Paul makes that decision so the gospel will not be hurt and the body of Christ, these Jewish believers, could be unified. He is willing to do whatever it takes as long as he's not offending the holiness of God. I think Mother's Day is hard as the the dad because for Mother's Day, you've got to kind of do better than you did last year. And like the longer you have it, the harder it seems to get. And if you ever hit one of those Mother's Day where you just like knock it out of the park, the next day you're already dreading the following Mother's Day. Like how do I possibly do something that was nearly that good for that next Mother's Day? Um, and, And this year... I got this list of books for mothers, books you could give to moms for the Mother's Day. And I thought, you know, this could be something, maybe, I could give my wife a book, I could then say, hey, babe, for like a whole afternoon, you, you have a glass of wine and be alone without our kids driving you crazy, I'll take them and just like give you time. And, and so I started looking over the list of books. Um, one of them, and I'm just going gonna, gonna to read the book title and then how they describe it. Right, these are books for Mother's Day. Infinite Jest. Here's their description. It's a sprawling, sci-fi-inflected story involving tennis, drug addiction, and a short film so entertaining people will watch it over and over again until they die of starvation or thirst. I ran out and bought that one really quickly. Here's the next one. Where'd you go, Bernadette? Speaking of borderline monstrous mothers, there's Bernadette Fox, a genius and agoraphobic architect whose extreme unhappiness hidden for years reaches a cracking point when she acquiesces to her daughter Bee's wish to travel to Antarctica. At first, Bernadette appears to be doing her best to give Bee the trip, throwing herself into elaborate plans, but then she disappears. Mom takes off. One more. Um, And again, these books may be really good. I'm not against the books. I'm just trying to figure out why I would ever give these to my wife for Mother's Day. This one's a little more popular. You may have heard of it. White Oleander. It is dark. (laughs) The novel is dark, and the mother at the center of it isn't very sympathetic or likable. She's self-involved, she's cold towards her daughter, often acting as if she forgets she has a daughter at all. The daughter is terrified of abandonment, and when the mother hits rock bottom in an emotionally abusive relationship, she lashes out and murders Barry, poisoning him, she's arrested, and she thrusts her daughter into a terrifying journey through the foster system. Here, honey, happy Mother's Day. (laughs) Here's my opinion. I think these books miss the point of Mother's Day. I'm not sure they're getting at least what I'm trying to do with my wife on Mother's Day. I want her to feel happy. (laughs) I want her to feel like she's appreciated and loved and we all care for her. And that's like my primary thing. And like, this is not doing that. God has a primary vision for the church that we would take the gospel forward 
no matter the cost, that we would be unified as the body of Christ, even if it means giving up some of our preferences, even if it means doing something that you're like, you know what, I hate drums. I don't, but just imagine I did. I hate drums. That is not a reason to divide the body of Christ. Now, sadly, the body of Christ has been divided over all kinds of things it should never have been divided over. Paul would not be one of those people because Paul would make hard decisions for right reasons, even if it meant giving up what he thinks is the best or a preference, Paul would sacrifice that. Let me end with one question that I think is hugely significant. What if you make the right decision, the right hard decision, but things don't turn out in a good way? It's easier to make that decision when you know if I make this hard decision, things are gonna be all sunshine and roses and it's gonna be beautiful and awesome. What if not only you don't know that, but you know that it might turn out poorly? Can you still make the right decision? Because here's what happens to Paul. Go back into your text and look at verse 27. Acts 21, 27. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, these are different Jews, by the way, but they are still Jewish believers, Jewish, they're not Jewish Christian believers, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. That's the response. Paul goes through a seven-day ritual, pays for other people to take vows so that his reputation of being against the law would be known to be false. And the first thing that's had, in fact, he's not even quite done with it. He's on day seven. Already, that reputation, no, this is that guy that's against. Basically, it does nothing or seems to do nothing. Have you ever made a hard decision that was the right thing and yet on the other side of it, you're like, why did I even make that decision? The person didn't respond. The business didn't respond. It still was awful like it was beforehand. Can you make a hard decision for the right reason? And part of that right reason is this. We cannot make right decisions based on the outcome. It's not about the outcome. It's about the decision itself. If you are making your hard right decisions on the outcome, eventually a couple things will happen. Number one, you'll stop making them because the outcomes don't always turn out the way we want. Any disagreement there? They don't always go the way we want them to. And if your right decision is based on the outcome, you will eventually stop making right decisions. And number two, you may actually go the opposite direction because that's going towards the ends justify the means. Eventually, you may just make wrong decisions, because they will give you the outcome that you want. In our text, I want you to jump back just before our passage and look at verse 13 of 21. I want you to look at Paul's rationale. Then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? 
For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. The reason I will go to Jerusalem is not because I think it's going to turn out the best. I'm not even worried about that. I am going for the name of the Lord Jesus, even if I get imprisoned or I die. A hard, right decision for the right reason, for the name of the Lord Jesus. There was a man back in 1569 named Dirk Willem. And Dirk was arrested for a theological reason. Arrested, put in prison, and he was going to be burned. Knowing he was going to be burned, he escaped. Unfortunately, when he escaped, it wasn't like in the dead of night, nobody saw him, like the guards saw him, and one of them actually chased him. But there was a pond that had iced over, and Dirk decided he would take the risk. I mean, he's going to die anyway. So he took the risk of going across the pond, made it across without anything cracking. However, the guard following him, out onto this ice, it cracked, and the guard fell in. Dirk stopped. If he keeps going, he is free. If he goes back, it probably means he's going to die. He goes back onto the ice, risking his own life to pull this man out of the water. This man, who knew his life was saved, wanted to let Dirk go, but at this point, others had come, and so they had to rearrest him. And on May 16th, 1549, he would be burned at the stake. The wind was described on this day as continually moving the flames away so that the agony lasted longer. And this guy was just up there burning and screaming, and he's crying out to God. And this is not a story where he cries out to God as the faithful witness and God makes all the pain go away. He suffered. Eventually, one of the guards killed him so that he would stop suffering. This guy made the right decision. He saved a man's life when he could at a huge cost to himself. And it was not a decision that went, well, this will all turn out great if I just go back and do this. You can watch it. It did not turn out great. Rearrested, burned, suffering. It was still the right decision, the hard right decision. What price will you pay? What price will you pay to confront another person? What price will you pay to make a decision that may cost you something at your job, a relationship? What price will you pay to remain faithful to God for the right reasons? On the night that he lost, the night that the votes came in, and he failed to get reelected, this is what he wrote. Well, he said, he called himself a failed president, but he said this to himself 
be strong, be kind, be generous of spirit, be understanding, let people know how grateful you are, don't get even, comfort the ones I've hurt and let down, say your prayers and ask for God's understanding and strength, finish with a smile and with some gusto, do what's right and finish strong. feel like I could just put that on a mirror and look at it every day. Right in the midst of failure, these were his words to himself. What will we be as a church? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you gave your son for us. You gave him over to suffering and to death that we might have life. Your son made hard decisions as he came as a servant, as he humbled himself and gave himself for people who didn't even want him. Lord, may we be more like him, willing to do things for the name of our savior, even when they are hard, even when they cost, even when the outcome may not turn out the way we want it to. But we do it because of your love, because of your sacrifice of your son. We do it that we might honor him. Lord, make us those people, even as we see modeled for us in the early church. We ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen.